Meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice... Can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast, a podcast where we explore topics on Buddhist meditation and maintaining a meditation practice amidst living in a busy world. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is As You Are, Living in the Moment. This very moment is really all we have, and yet we constantly avoid meeting it in the middle. In this episode, we will not only discuss nowness and how our cultivation of nowness can transform our lives and state of mind, but we will also receive an opportunity to experience nowness together. Today we are joined by Rachel Farrow. Rachel is a senior meditation teacher and practitioner within the Shambhala and Tibetan Buddhist traditions who has taught and led meditation retreats, classes, and workshops in Europe, Latin America, South Africa, and throughout the United States. A personal student of Chagyam Trungpa Rinpoche, she has been training, practicing, and teaching since the early 1970s. She's also an accomplished and well-known singer-songwriter, Grammy-nominated record producer, and president of a world music record label. The Meditation in the City podcast is hosted by the Shambhala Meditation Center of New York. Here's Rachel to take away the discussion. There's a lot of talk about nowness in Buddhism and in Shambhala and in our books and practices. And the word nowness to me has always been a little bit suspicious because the word ness, the, uh, by saying it's a ness, implies that it's something. But actually, now isn't anything. It's just now it's just not the past it's not the present it's not it's not um anything but what it is so nowness implies to me some sort of state of mind like happiness or sadness nowness but i don't think that really addresses what being on point, absolutely present in this very moment is because it implies a state of mind as opposed to some other state of mind. It's something. So um, let's talk about how we all don't experience nowness in our lives. And I think most of us know how we are either dwelling on the past or the future pretty much all the time. All the time. We're either making lists, planning ahead, scheduling, uh, projecting our future, hoping, fearing, or we're reminiscing, thinking about the past, regretting the past, nostalgic for the past, treasuring moments of the past. And then we simply do things that aren't necessarily about remembrance of the past or projecting the future, but are simply filling in the space so we don't experience now. Because 
these are all, all these things I referred to are, are on a timeline. We are in this kind of linearness of years, moments, minutes, hours that happened or will happen. And they're on a timeline. And now is lifting ourselves out of time, out of any time. And it's all about space. It's all about boom. But we are addicted to filling in the space, whether it's filling up our calendars, playing solitaire, watching TV, working, whatever it is, we're addicted to it. We're addicted to filling up the space so that we don't have to be absolutely present in this very scary present moment of now. But the trick here really within ourselves as practitioners is not to run away from that and not to avoid that, but to lean into it and acknowledge that that's what we're doing now. You know, say we're playing solitaire and we're filling up the space. Well, that's what we're doing now. <laughs> so it's not like um, we stop everything. It's more like we just are with it. I think that emotion is a very important aspect to discuss with that because we spend a lot of time avoiding negativity, avoiding emotions, filling in the space, whether it's fear or anger or um, sadness, grief, rather than acknowledging that that's what we're experiencing and leaning into it and letting ourselves be with that. So this whole idea of being addicted to filling up the space is how most of us live our lives. I think that a lot of us as practitioners begin to slowly but surely experience the present moment in our practice as, as our practice deepens, as the discursiveness begins to subside and the speed begins to subside when we begin to practice for more than 10 minutes at a time. You know, 10 minutes is really good, but it's just basically settling down. 20 minutes is even better where we get to really settle down, but an hour, a vigtun, a datun, that's where we begin to actually taste our minds and ourselves and the layers and layers and layers that we have of discursiveness and that um, habitual patterns that we've created and developed to avoid space of now, of this very moment. So I think as practitioners, we often see this in other people, our loved ones, you know, or our fellow workers. God, they're just spinning their wheels. Don't they see that they never experience themselves. They're just like filling up the space, spinning their wheels with blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's true. We all do it, but we see it very much in our world too. And we also, you know, experience our own unwillingness to be in a 
moment of space by come home, turn on the TV, rather than just have a quiet evening of nothing, right? We stare at our phones. See, in our society now, it's even worse than it was before because we've got these hyperlinking going on constantly with our phones and our computers. So it's not just filling up the space with business or thoughts. We also have these hyperlinks so we can go from one thing to another very, very quickly. But um, the experience of nowness, Trungpa Rinpoche had this great uh, term, maybe some of you have heard it before, of the big blue pancake. Have any of you heard of the big blue pancake? <laughs> Well, it's, it's not really related to the coconuts that fall on your head. That's, that's something different. I don't know if you've heard of the coconuts. But um, the big blue pancake is the sense of when the sky falls down on you. Boom. The whole sky just goes boom. And there you are in space. Hanging out with Trungpa Rinpoche was a bit like that because he never filled in the space. And that was part of the transmission of being around somebody like that, was that he just didn't gossip or chit-chat or fill in the space. He just basically sat there most of the time. But we can do that ourselves. We can take a moment where we just drop it all, and just drop it, and experience this very moment. So, as practitioners, we have a good head start, <laughs> which, of course, is a projection for the future, meaning that we can be practitioners and actually we will experience nowness, which is kind of a contradictory here. <laughs> but um, because we are stabilizing our minds and bodies when we practice, because we're settling down, because we're slowing down, we have an opportunity to experience these gaps, like when the big blue pancake falls down. You know, we, we often have gaps in our lives if something sudden happens to us, if something's tragic, shock, if we have a shock, something like that, a shock will bring us to the moment, bring us gap. Um, we often say that when we hear of someone passing away, the very first uh, reaction is not grief even, it's just gap. And then we immediately start to fill it in with whatever. But um, as practitioners, that is our process. But it's not just happen, it's not just something that just happens to us because we're doing Shamatha Vipassana practice. Yes, to some degree it does. But it's also, I think, something that we actually intentionally cultivate. We can intentionally remind ourselves to be present in this very moment, the way we just did at the end of our sitting practice. We can, you know, I find a lot in my own practice, my own morning practice, um, that I'll be, you know, my thoughts are going wild. I've got a million things to think about, and that's okay. You know, it's okay that when you first start to sit, your mind is a bit wild. We're not trying to find any sort of ideal state with, to be. 
As a matter of fact, it's more like, okay, acknowledging our mind is wild and being with it and recognizing and acknowledging it. And as we sit, maybe we start to make those lists and maybe we start to think about what happened yesterday. But as we practice, if we give ourselves a little more time, those things begin to subside because as you know from studying, the mind is like water. It's all riled up and then when you leave it be, it begins to get clear, it begins to be still. So you give it a little bit of time, however time it takes. And then at some point, you remind yourself and go, I'm gonna be now. You can do it. You can all do it. Sometimes it's scary. We have a lot of scary things. That's all you do is say, I'm scared now. Whatever it is, it is. So that, that addiction that we have to filling in the space can be ventilated through our practice. You know, I mean, slowing down, being present is, again, not necessarily part of only part of our brand it's Shambhala you know or Buddhist brand this is human this is something that can be done by humans but we do have um, a path and a technique and a way to do it that makes it possible um, to something that for which we can be very grateful so in our own practice from time to time we simply remind ourselves nowness or now i tell you this word nowness like sadness or happiness because it implies a state as opposed to a different state i don't really like to use the word nowness even though it's used in our culture a lot so now <laughs> within the conditioning of working with our practice and our minds and our bodies we begin to imbue our lives with a sense of present moment so that as we live it begins to permeate our lives so it's not just maybe in those moments that you're say okay stop now now you hear the cars outside you hear the fan going you feel your heart beating, you notice that your throat's maybe a little bit sore or your, your um, knee hurts. You feel the room's a bit hot. You know, all those things that you notice that you might not have noticed because you were so busy thinking about this and that. So the, um, that within one's practice, you can bring it back to this very moment. And as you do that, uh, it begins to actually happen more and more. You can do it more and more. You, the gap becomes um, something that happens more and more often so that maybe you're not absolutely present all the time, but 
even when you're not, you are in some sense because you've been able to create within the flow of your thoughts, within the flow of your life, a sense of presence and acknowledgement of the moment so that you're no longer just running away from this present moment uh, by filling up the space or by doing this and that or by reminiscing or by projecting, but you're actually, while you're thinking, while you're flowing, while you're living your life, you are present. So that is not something that is um, different from everything else. It's something that actually can happen more and more, but also can imbue or saturate your daily life, your post-meditation experience. And so you, be, you will begin to find that, that you are simply more present. And having that um, sense of acknowledging that very moment, this very moment, which is the moment, every moment, because every moment's different. And there's no such thing really as a moment. <laughs> because that implies like a clock where you have moment, 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 moment. But it's more like just dropping time itself and being present. I was looking up the roots of the word now. I was thinking, where is this word now? You know, I've never, I, I can't think of anything connected to now. So I looked it up and it, it's a Germanic source that was also uh, evolved in Old English and Middle English. But it comes from new. It actually comes from, now comes from the Old Germanic word new, N-U, and the meaning is new. So it implies that things are always new and that, you know, within that acknowledgement of now, of being present, absolutely present in this very moment, this is a new time all the time. Everything is constantly unfolding and you're acknowledging it as it's unfolding. And so one might think, that it's coupled with this tremendous sense of discovery because you're not chained to your projections and thoughts and addictions to filling in the space. You're not chained to um, spinning your wheels. You have a chance to actually experience everything as very fresh. And in the beginning, it might take some discipline to remind oneself to drop it and just be in the moment. moment, moment, moment. But I love that idea that it's, everything is new all the time. Think about how, well, think about what do we really have in our lives? Nothing except this present moment. When we realize that, when we start to ventilate the solidity of our thoughts and start to ventilate that um, 
sense of filling up the space so the space starts to be softer and the space starts to have light shining through it. Um, you realize that no matter what happens, even if we're very worried or anxious or angry or sad, we we can be we can we can rest in that moment. We can rest in that moment, whatever it is. And as we rest in that moment, we begin to see those moments of acknowledging now, being in in whatever is. That will begin to expand. And as I said before, will become part of your experience that you'll be living all the time. So you won't be as, you won't lose your, your uh, stability as much. You won't be necessarily caught off guard as much because you've developed the, not just because, I mean, we all are anyway in the present moment, but you've developed the awareness of it. So thank you for listening. And I wonder if any of you have any comments on your own experience or questions. You can open it up. Um, you mentioned the mind being still. Now, of course, I'm a two-year into it junior, not experienced practitioner, but I have good consistency. And and my, I have a question about mind being still and in my mind versus I juxtapose that with, you know, because you described we all have thoughts and just to be aware of the thoughts and let them glide through, not bomb onto them, follow them away. Uh, <clears throat> so do you differentiate between the mind being still, but, but still having awareness of my thoughts? Okay. Well, first of all, the mind is never going to be completely still. That's just not its thing. <laughs> It's not its nature. It's always, but I think the metaphor that I used earlier about water is a very good, when water is disturbed, it's all ruffled up and rippling all over the place. And that's kind of like how our minds are very often when we sit down to sit in the morning or just in the beginning of our practice, right? And as we sit, we're giving um, the opportunity, just like say a lake or a, a pond where there's no wind blowing over it or nobody's swimming in it so it has the chance to settle down it doesn't freeze it's not still in that sense that it's completely solid it's still water and it's still fluid but it's clarified because the silt is dropping to the bottom and the water you can see as clearer because it's 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 calmer 
So maybe still isn't the right word. Maybe we just, you know, what I what I meant about that first 10 minutes of practice is that it, just like the water, it's giving your mind an opportunity to settle down. Not just your mind, too, your body, your heartbeat, your breath, every, your nervous system. Everything has a chance to just kind of settle down. So there might still be ripples. There probably will still be ripples, but they'll be slower and they'll be calmer. So that's what I meant. The, the mind is not going to ever stop. But the other thing that you mentioned about thoughts and not running away with them, it's our, our technique is what brings us back to the present moment. You know, you take note, you go, oh, I'm thinking again. Okay, back to the out breath, back to the breath. The breath is something that gives us a kind of a anchor, um, a way, it's, a, it's really a way for us, it's, it's the simplest possible way for us to bring our attention back to the present moment. But it's not, um, again, trying to stop your thoughts. It's very important to remember that we're not trying to stop our thoughts or deny our thoughts. We're simply allowing them to dissolve like clouds in the sky. You know, and the mind is like this vast space of sky within which the clouds float by, reform, form. And we allow that, but we don't, um, we don't just go with them. I heard a really cute saying from a Tibetan Lama once at a talk in New York where he, he said, well, your thoughts, you know, you just abandon them. Like, poor little thoughts, nobody's paying any mm -hmm. attention. There they go. <laughs> I've actually had the feeling in this in this topic right now, thank you for your time, of, well, I need to give my thoughts more respect and also, of course, not be so hard on myself because you, I wrote down that you normalized when you just described a little while ago about, you know, everybody, you know, in the past, in the future, analyzing, reminiscing. <laughs> but I thank you. Thank you very much. Well, we, you know, we, our thoughts are just thoughts. And, and it's considered that not one thought is of more value than the other when we're practicing. It's just our mind doing its thing, right? So we can respect our mind because our mind is, is one of the great things that we have as humans. But we don't need to necessarily hang on to anything that it's doing. It's just flowing by. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> One thing that came up for me as we were doing the practice of the, you know, feeling our, our present moment and what's happening now, you know, uh, I was, I spent the weekend with my dad and he's the kind of person who's like always got an eye on every exit and but keeping like, he's just a kind of paranoid person. So he's very, present because he can't just but it's weird because he can't relax in the present so it's like to me that's the difference between now and nowness is like it's like you can sustain a relaxed open awareness instead of like a fixation on the moment or something like that well it's, it's just well, interesting because it seems very present but it's not in a way right yeah i mean i i can i can relate to that because i'm extremely claustrophobic right so Elevators are difficult for me. Tunnels are difficult for me. So 
for your father to be paranoid or for me to be fearful, logically fearful, nowness now is about leaning into it and it feeling it and accepting it and going and not avoiding it because it yeah, is like, what it is. Yeah. A lack of judgment, you know. Yeah. Because yeah. he's he's coming from a fearful place, so he's judging the present moment, and so it's taking him out of it as he's like he's like ping ponging back and forth between seeing something, judging it, seeing something, judging it, and it feels like it's very present because it's happening very rapidly. But he's just moving. But is he acknowledging how he feels? His fear is he acknowledging his fear, or is he uh, filling up the space? With... Yeah, he's trying to replace his fear with confidence. With exactly. oh, see, I've got every exit. I know where it all is. I, I know, you know, wow. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we've been taught about prajna and paranoia as being flip sides of the same coin. So prajna is what you can develop through your practice, which is just knowing and being completely aware of every detail. And paranoia is being completely aware of every detail, but it's coming from uh, fear, right? But it's they're similar and they're like flip sides of the same coin. But that's the thing with, with um, as practitioners is being willing to acknowledge your experience and begin to will acknowledge how things are in that very moment. And even consciously acknowledging them and even, even leaning into it. You know, that's why they call it the cosmic mirror. Because whatever you're experiencing is mirrored, you might say. It's, it's, it's kind of an arcane way to put it. But the, um, the idea that whatever is, whatever is, is. And that is what your experience is and you're not trying to alter it or edit it it just is so that's your dad's thing where he's not leaning into the paranoia but he's avoiding it which i do when i'm afraid too i mean it's sometimes so painful with claustrophobia that um you know, for me to get in an elevator and acknowledge how terrified I feel is interesting. But then I go, okay, I'm in this, I'm in this cabinet that's in this cylinder in this building. <laughs> you know? It takes bravery to be present sometimes. Yeah, I think this is tricky, you know, because um, present, to be present in my experience um, is not necessarily to be now. You know, and I, I think that Rachel, you, you know, you refer to that when you were talking about the present moment because moments are, you know, discrete units of time. Yeah. And, and yet um, they keep moving. And so, whereas now, is behind and runs through all of that. And so I think, Bobby, when you talk about your, your dad, you know, being very present, I mean, it's like when we're mindful, it seems to me, we're very present. 
You know, we follow each moment. But to me, that's not the same as on the dot where that dot is huge, <laughs> you know? And so this is a tricky thing to talk about, to talk about nowness, because I think, Rachel, you even said at one point, it's beyond time, you know, because time is so linear. And you know, like the saying, you can't step into the same river, you know, you, as soon as you're mad, you know, it's gone, it's gone. <laughs> And so now is a different experience. Yeah. You know, it's awareness. It's yeah. being in, in touch with awareness, which is like you're saying, Rachel, you know, it's just is. It's an, it's an is. And is less big. Thank you, Norma. Thank you for that. You're making an excellent point. You know, now is beyond the moment. It's beyond time. It's, it's, you're right. And, a lot of this is language. We're talking about being present as a way to describe that. But um, it's very, very good point that you made about that, that it's some. Um... Because we talk about two different things, you know, in meditation. Yeah, we do want to be present. We do want to be current. We do want to be, you know, uh, letting meditation help us to be mindful. You know, it's like getting into an activity, you know, like being, what do they call it in sports? Being in the flow or being, you know how- Zone, in the zone. In the zone, that's it, that's it. Being in the zone, you know? And I, I don't know if being in the zone is more present or more now because you know, it's often talked about in situations that I'm never in. Like I don't do sports. So I don't I don't have that as a frame of reference. But I do in my practice have a frame of reference for now. And it's a very different experience than being than when I consider that I'm being present. I can be present for you when I'm listening to you. I can follow and I, you know, I'm tracking you and I, you know, I understand, you know, but I, um, that's, that's very different from my experience of being more, dif more diffuse and contextual and it's just different to me. I think that this is a wonderful point that you're making. And, um, you know, as I said, it is about language, but I also think that you are differentiating that idea of moment as a unit of time in a way. It's an undefined moment. It's not a minute, but still. Yeah. And time is funny because moments can be very short or very long, actually. Yeah, right. But, but um, I, I can talk about my own experience where I don't think I ever thought about being now until I was a practitioner. I don't think yeah. it even occurred to me to just stop and be now. That's you know, right, me too. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels, thank you for that, Norma, that was great. Um, it feels very much like present is kind of like mindful and now is like aware. 
And so, you know, it's good to have both, but obviously I think at least, you know, Americans and Westerners tend to be more like the mindfulness is, you know, beyond the dot and, or, you know, achieve your goals, be efficient, all these things. And so, yeah, until we practice meditation and I'm aware of awareness, which would make sense because I'm not aware. <laughs> well, I highly recommend it. It's something that you can do all the time. Uh, something that I wanted to chime in with, uh, specifically on the comment you were making, Norma, about um, referring to the athletic phrase of being in the zone and uh, how that kind of maybe relates to a sense of uh, now, I actually started uh, practicing figure skating um, after I started meditating, once I encountered the Dharma and the teachings, um, because I've always been an athletically expressed person. I used to be a dancer, these sorts of things, but I realized that being on ice skates above the ice seemed like a really wonderful way to extend my meditation practice because it did connect me so much with a sense of now um, mostly because I knew I was going to be very bad at it. <laughs> and anytime that I got cocky or thought, you know, I'm doing so great, or even uh, beating down on myself and thinking, oh, I'm not going to be so wonderful at this and, and starting to worry rather more, rather than just doing, I would physically receive, uh, you know, some understanding of, okay, now I'm falling over or, okay, now I've caught my toe pick and, now I'm doing this and um, I was just figure skating today. And I think as I've kind of started studying it more and allowed myself to plan about it, worry about it, uh, analyze it, I, I've lost a little bit of that sense of now, but um, it is still something that I, I am able to connect to because beyond even just doing good, because again, the minute I label it good, it kind of starts to freeze it in that moment uh, well, now it is finished because I've done it well. So now there's a, a time to analyze it after the fact, but it is continuous. Um, I hope that anywhere in that, that illuminates something for someone. Uh, I thought it was a useful perspective at this yeah. time. Yeah. You know, I'm a musician, I'm a singer, and I work with music in my whole life. And the, um, the thing about being in the zone is very relevant because um, when you're when you're really playing music and it's successful, um, it's very similar to ice skating, I'm sure. <laughs> but it's like um, you don't have a consciousness of yourself, really. And what's interesting is if you're doing it by yourself, yeah, you can definitely get in the zone and become. It's sort of like that Sufi thing, like the divine, just letting go into something. But, the, um, but if you're with an ensemble, that really requires um, a kind of an awareness all the time of what the other people are doing. Otherwise, it's just, just terrible, you know? So when you have an ensemble, there's almost compassion with the others about everybody uh, being aware of what the other is doing, being kind to each other. But I definitely feel that my own experience of being what you might call in the zone, like when making music, isn't the same thing really as now. Mm. It's possible that one's practice could be, as I, as I described earlier, it helps imbue you with that. Uh, and, and you know, that same thing of tripping up, 
is to me is when the ego starts getting in the way, like, oh, I'm so good, you know, and then you hit a wrong note, you know, <laughs> or it's like as soon as as soon as you get self-conscious, your your ego just makes you into this clumsy person, you know, whether it's ice skating or singing or whatever. But one thing I can recommend to all of us as as practitioners, which was the great discovery for me, is you can do it any time. In a way, you never have to be bored again. So if you're bored, instead of filling up this, instead of like pulling out your phone and playing, you know, solitaire, you just be there. Yeah, I appreciate that. I um, here's my recent example. Is that I uh, was experiencing a couple weeks of uh, severe depression not typical for me. And so um, I was very mindful of the, um, all of the um, negativity, just severe negativity. What an ugly experience this was, you know, and, um, and I, I, I couldn't get any relief from it. I couldn't get any medication for a while. So the only thing I could do, and I didn't want to do it, I didn't think I could do it, but I did. I sat and my practice is called Dogjin. And so I, um, and that is really sitting in this awareness. And I didn't know if I could do it um, because I was hounding myself so relentlessly, but I did do it. And it was the only relief I could get uh, from, from this bombardment of thinking because it's big space. And so all of that negativity was in the background at first, but then I just, it just got swallowed up. And I was so relieved. It was such a big relief. Um, so, um, was it clinical depression where your body started to, you know, keep renewing the depression? Well, over, you know, I, I've never experienced this before, and I found out why I experienced this which I'm not going to get into. But I, I do imagine that this wasn't ex what people do experience when they have clinical depression. You know, it was chemical. And I, I can only say that I have such empathy for people who um, experience this and that medication does not help them. I mean, I, I, I don't know. What a terrible experience this is. But I will say that before I got my on medication, you know, the experience of being, you know, of, a, of being aware and, and, and how big that is was helpful. But I wouldn't be able to walk around like that. You know what I mean? I, I cannot walk conduct my life like that well that's I a meditation experience but 
it you know it your post your your practice does begin to color or influence everything in your life one thing i wanted to mention was how um you talk a lot in shambhala at certain points about the difference between depression and sadness um, oh yeah this was not sadness right i'm the queen of sadness i do that very well <laughs> well we talk about the difference between depression and sadness might be that sadness is something that you can just experience in the moment and acknowledge but depression is a still a form of of living in the past or the future Being, oh yeah very much very right. much so, so very much so unrelenting yeah so the depression is not really being, as you might say, present or now. It's thinking about the past or the future. But the, if but one could transform depression into sadness by simply allowing yourself to be sad in the moment, acknowledging it, tasting it, and not defining why. Just you know, there's this term nostalgia for the present moment that Campo Rinpoche came up with. Saudade, they say in, in Portugal. It's like this sense of sweet, longing, sadness. You don't know why. There's no reason, really. It's just your heart. And um, resisting it is depression. Acknowledging it is being present, being... I keep using that word, but, you know, I, I understand what you were saying, and I agree with you. So, um, Dogchen is great, and uh, the um, it sounds as if there's the other thing. There's a sense I think of contraction with depression. One is contracting into oneself, holding on to one's pain, and it just gets worse and worse. As and then a sense of sadness is a feeling of opening up and allowing yourself to feel what you feel and allowing your heart to be open. Yeah, I don't think they're the same at all. I don't think sadness and depression are in my, you know, I never understood that before because I had never experienced this before. But I don't, in my experience, they're not the same. But I think that they could, that depression can be transformed into sadness. I don't know. I don't know. I need it. Depression has that feeling of, of sinking, 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 losing confidence mm -hmm. completely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm really happy that you were able to come out of it. That is good news. Mm -hmm. What a relief that must be. Oh, it is. <laughs> oh, it is. It is, but I brought it up because in the in the interim, you know, I found the big space that uh -huh. could contain it all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. 
Shambhala NYC also offers a variety of meditation courses for meditators of all levels. Check out our upcoming programs at shambhalanyc.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.